welcome 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 i would like to welcome you to episode 330 of the unpopular podcast this is the man the myth the legend jalen hunter and here at the unpopular podcast i'm not really asking you to agree with me i'm asking you to hear me out one thing that you know about sports all sports not just basketball football baseball all sports the mindset that everyone has going into a sport or watching a sport or being a gm being a head coach any type anything one thing that you know the, the mindset in sports is what have you done for me lately you have to put positive product to get positive results what do i mean by that and and this is where i'm going to start my episode and that is the i guess breaking news that happened yesterday which was nick nurse getting fired from the Toronto Raptors. Nick Nurse, who was also the head coach that brought the Toronto Raptors their first championship, he is out of here. He's he's out. And and it's it's sports kind of develops or adopts the same mindset that freelancers have. In 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 a in a cert in a in a let me let me explain. A freelancer's mindset, for people that do or do not know, is you're only as good as your last job. If your last job wasn't good, there's always a fear of you're not going to get hired again or you're not going to get brought back. Or you may lose possible opportunities because you weren't as good as your last job. That's why the freelance field is so competitive. For a head coach, for any any head coach, you have to put positive product on paper for you to retain your job. Now, do I think that Nick Nurse is a bad coach? No. But when you look at and it also kind of goes into expectations. When you look at the Toronto Raptors, ever since Kawhi Leonard has left, the Toronto Raptors really haven't been They've been playoff viable, of course. They've been able to make it to the playoffs, except for this year, of course, they didn't make it out to play in. And they've always been that team, that a little above middle of the pack, but not good enough to really contend. When you have Pascal Siakam, when you have Fred Van Vliet, uh, Gary Trent Jr., these are you're a middle of the you're you're above middle of the pack like you're not what's the middle of the pack team that I know, that I can say you're not the wizards that's the middle of the pack team but not good enough to really contend for any well not good enough to really contend to be in the playoffs at least last or last few years but the Toronto Raptors have been a little bit above a little bit above good, middle of the pack, but nobody thinks if if and when they make it to the playoffs that they're good enough to 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 make some noise. They always have the mantra of, you know, it's a really rugged team, it's a really good defensive team, but they struggle somewhere, and usually that somewhere is offensively. So, do I think Nick Nurse should have been fired? Here's my. Uh, Here's my thought on this. Again, it goes, you have to understand which direction the organization's going. Some organizations are more understanding and more realistic about 
just where they are and where they're going. Again, I don't think Nick Nurse is a bad coach. But there is a certain there is a certain point where the the product that you're putting on paper doesn't match the future of the organization. I think that's where we're that's where the the Toronto Raptors and Nick Nurse was. The Toronto Raptors when you win a championship, especially a recent championship, I know it was back in 2019, but that's still fairly recent. When you win a recent championship, there is a ex- expectation, a thought that we will be back. Even if you lose your best player, i.e. Kawhi Leonard, even if the circumstances of which you winning that championship was very favor- favorable in your in your favor, i.e., Clay Thompson going down, Kevin Durant going down, DeMarcus Cousins going down a little bit. There's always a sense. It might be a false sense. I don't know. But there's always a sense that, oh, we'll be back. And the fact that the Toronto Raptors have not been close to getting back. In fact, I don't think the Toronto Raptors have been out of the first round since making it to. I could be wrong. I don't think the Toronto Raptors have made it out the first round of the playoffs since winning the championship. Now, again, I understand Kawhi Leonard was on that team and Kyle Lowry was on that team. But again, the Toronto Raptors, I do not believe, have made it out of the the the, the first round of the playoffs since Kawhi Leonard or since they won the championship in 2019. And and there are times again where sometimes you just lose the locker room. You lose your voice is not heard in the locker room. Now I don't think that's the case for Nick Nurse. Again, I think the case for Nick Nurse is simple. When you've looked at the Toronto Raptors since 2019, they have not improved in my opinion. And when I mean improved, there hasn't been inc- I mean yes, you got Scotty Barnes and he's he's a pretty good player. But they have not improved. There, you can't. There's. There has never been a time since 2019 where I looked at the Toronto Raptors. Anyone, I believe, looked at the Toronto Raptors and thought to themselves, "This is a championship team." And I think that moving forward, I don't know if you'll get a better coach than Nick Nurse. Since I mean, the coaching market, you can maybe look look at a Ime Udoka, but I think he's interviewing for the Rockets job. I don't know. But what I do know is. I don't think the Toronto Raptors have gotten worse, even though, yes, they didn't make the playoffs. They didn't make it out of the, 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 the play-in. I just don't think they've gotten better. And I don't I don't think it's a sense of the locker room stop listening to Nick Nurse. It's just Nick Nurse has stopped growing the team. Now, a lot of that is on Nick Nurse. A lot of that isn't. A lot of that is the personnel. Again, you banked with, with Kawhi Leonard leaving, you banked your team or you banked your immediate future on the emergence of Pascal Siakam. And while Pascal Siakam has been good, he has not emerged at that star level that we kind of saw glimpses of in the 2019 champion or NBA finals. You banked your future, immediate future on the emergence of Fred Van Vliet. And while Fred Van Vliet is a pretty good point guard, He struggled mightily this year, especially from shooting or from beyond the arc, shooting the three. 
And when you look, the the, the way of the league, the, the, the way the league is going is offensively. You know, the, the, the league is going in an offensive direction. We look at some of the best stars, Darren Fox, or young stars. So I'll take out Steph Curry. I'll take out Kevin Durant. Look at some of the look at a lot of the young stars. A little later, I'm gonna give my all NBA teams because I realize I haven't done that. And when you look, it is riddled with players under 25 or at 25. Again, when you when you look at a team, when you look at a the, the league is going in such an offensive direction. And while I don't, I'm not saying that you just don't cater to defensive players. But you built your team and your future, not just immediate, but you built your future currently on Scotty Barnes. And Scotty Barnes is not a a defensive player. I mean, not an offensive player just like at all. I'm not saying he's trash offensively, but he's not that good of a or not a consistent offensive player. So when you bank your f- immediate future on a player like Pascal Siakam, who has he's, he's very good. Do not get me wrong, but he hasn't emerged as that star. When you banked your your immediate future on a Fred Van Vliet, when you've made moves to get a Gary Trent Jr. and he's very inconsistent, even though he's good, he's inconsistent. And you bank you, your star player currently is Scotty Barnes, who isn't that good offensively. You're 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 pretty much you're pretty much lowering your ceiling. And I say this all the time. When there is a, when there is a, a a dispute with anything, when the, when there is a dispute between a player and a coach, when a team that may maybe has unrealistic expectations, when they're not in, exceeding those expectations, the first person to always go is Nick Nurse. I mean, is is the head coach, and the head coach in this situation just happened to be Nick Nurse. Again, I don't think Nick Nurse is a bad coach, and I and I do believe he'll get a opportunity again. I just don't. I, I I think the writing was on the wall once they didn't make the playoffs, or once they didn't make it out the plan, and and they lost in the fashion of which they lost, which was against the Heat. You you have to at least make it in the playoffs. I don't know. I don't think. Just like we'll talk about the Heat a little later. I don't think that you had an opportunity to win, of course, seeing as though you probably would have had to go up against uh, the Bucks, and I, I just don't see the Heat making out the Bucks, but or or beating the Bucks. But you have to at least make in the play. And at that point, now you're looking at it as a regression, and it's it's not just a stagnant thing. You're regressing, and that's the last thing an organization wants, especially when you're spending as much money as you're spending. So it's unfortunate that Nick Nurse is fired, even though, again, he I do think he's a good coach. It's just the I think that the Toronto Raptors have reached the ceiling that has they've reached their ceiling. <laughs> and of course, their ceiling was the championship. But once you lose as much as they lost after that championship, you know, makes sense. So let's move forward. And let's talk about, let me extend the conversation that I had last episode when we talked about Draymond Green and we talked about perception. 
And in order to extend that conversation, we have to talk about what we saw in the in game three of the Philadelphia 76ers Brooklyn Nets game. First, let me let me let me prompt this by saying that Draymond Green, because I didn't I didn't have an update before last episode. Or the update came after last episode, and that was Draymond Green was getting got suspended for game three, which was in Golden State. We'll talk about that game in a second. But because of they say because of course the egregious act of Draymond Green stomping on Demonis Sabonis' chest after Demonis Sabonis grabbed his ankle, and of course it was coupled by Draymond Green egging on the crowd, he was then suspended game three. The Philadelphia 76ers game proved to me that with Draymond Green, it was more of the history of Draymond Green than the than the current act. I think the current act was, of course, egregious, and I think that he didn't have to do what he did. But the suspension, in my opinion, came more more on the side of history than it did the act, and the, and that was proven to me against the game, or that was proven to me. When I watched the the 76ers game, 76ers against Brooklyn, Nick Claxton goes up for a dunk, makes it. I think it's an and one, I believe. And he proceeds to try to do the Allen Iverson step over on Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid then takes exception, kicks up because Joel Embiid is currently on the floor, kicks up. And the groinish area, missed the groin just ever so slightly, the groin area of Nick Claxton. Now, my, when I saw that, I thought to myself, damn, that was a stupid play because Joel Embiid is about to get ejected. You can't just kick at somebody's groin. That just, we just tech, we've seen Draymond Green do that a couple times. You can't, you know what I'm saying? Like that, I, I'm, I'm expecting Joel Embiid to be out of here. And, you know, but to my surprise, Joel Embiid was not only not kicked out, but he was just issued a flagrant one. Now, there's a couple reasons why Joel Embiid was not kicked out of the game. One of which, of course, is history. Joel Embiid has a history of being an agitator, has a history of being a, a taunter, has a, has a history of being a disruptor as far as, you know, antics and everything like that. But he does not have a history of, of course, this, he doesn't have, let me say this, he does not have the same history that Draymond Green has. Another Another reason why they didn't kick Joel Embiid out was because of his star status. I said that when I saw the Draymond Green incident. I said, imagine if that was someone like Stephen Curry. 
Imagine if that was someone like Kevin Durant. Imagine if that was someone like LeBron James. Imagine if that was someone like like Giannis. Would they have treated treated it the same way they treated with Draymond Green? I don't believe they would have. Now, again, I believe a lot of the reason, the, 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 probably the biggest reason why he was suspended was because he was rallying up the crowd. And one thing that we know about basketball, right? One thing that we know about the NBA is the NBA's darkest moment in their eyes. And, and, and it probably was their darkest moment. The NBA's darkest moment was, of course, Malice in the Palace. For people that don't know what Malice in the Palace is, that is when the Indiana Pacers were going up against the Detroit Pistons back in the old palace. And a, a, a brawl ensued with not just the players, but the players and the fans. And it was ugly. Ron Artest was suspended for the rest of the season. I think Steven Jackson was suspended for the rest of the season. It was, it was pretty bad. And now it wasn't just them fighting, of course. Jermaine O'Neal was suspended. Uh, and, and again, it wasn't just those three players. It wasn't just the Indiana Pacers, the Detroit Pistons. Ben Wallace was suspended. There was a lot of suspensions. And there was a there was another one. There was a close second, and that was a huge brawl against the the New York Knicks and the Denver Nuggets. Now, the reason why that wasn't as bad as the Miles in the Palace is because there was no fans involved. But you had, you know, Carmelo Anthony being suspended, Nate Robinson. It, it was pretty big. So the last thing that the NBA wants to happen is another Malice in the Palace. Especially when the commissioner, Adam Silver, was at the game. But, but let's, let's, let's be honest here. One of the biggest reasons why there's such a there there seems to be a divide between players and refs is because of situations like this. If you're going to be fair, be fair. And actually, it's not just this because a couple in the third quarter, I believe, James Harden was ejected for making contact, making, I would like to think it was, uh, he he made accidental contact to, I believe, uh, Royce O'Neal's groin. As we know, when when, when James Harden drives, he likes to swipe his left or left or whatever hand the other the the opponents on he likes to swipe his hand down trying to create separation James Harden has done that his entire career and I think the 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 thought in this is you're swiping the hand down creating just a little bit of separation so you can either get to the rim you can draw the foul or you can create just an inch of separation for a for a step back or a sidestep shot well this time Royce O'Neal's hand was not there it was just his groin and Royce O'Neal was grave writhing on the floor beat flagrant two James Harden's out of there so you eject a player like James Harden that everyone you can tell that it was 
accidental contact. But in the first quarter, Joel Embiid literally kicked up to intentionally kick Nick Claxton. You you do that, and he's still in the game. And on top of that, just a couple plays later, Nick Claxton gets ejected for taunting. Again, if you if the refs have to be consistent. The refs have to be consistent. And I look at that and think this. I see nothing but let's just say taunting. But not in a not in a negative way. And and I don't think Nick Claxton did it in a negative way. Every single time Steph Curry hits a shot, a big shot. Especially at home, he's looking at the crowd. He's he's making faces. He's dancing. That's taunting. But because of Steph Curry, you're not going to do anything about it. And I don't think you should do anything about it. I don't think Nick Claxton Nick Claxton should have been suspended or not suspended. I'm sorry. Let me let me take that back. I don't think Nick Claxton should have been ejected from the game or kicked out. I understand it was his second technical, but I don't think he should have been ejected from the game. I think Nick Claxton not being there kind of changed the momentum and 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 handed Philly the momentum, which ultimately won them game three. Because Philly was up like 10 points or something with, with six minutes left or something like that. Six or five or six minutes left. Nick Claxton goes out, then, then Tyrese Maxey goes off. Now, yes, I understand that. Uh, Nick Claxton is not Tyreek Maxey, but Tyreek Maxey was getting to the rim at ease. And Joel Embiid was struggling all game because of the defensive pressure that Nick Claxton, the Brooklyn Nets, put on him or, you know, was was playing him. And Tyrese Maxey just went off. Again, if if we're going to talk about the letter of the law, right, if we're going to talk about just exactly how the law is 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 made and done yes i believe joel Embiid should have got ejected for making contact or tr- kicking nick claxton even yes i understand and, and and as a hooper i get it as a basketball player as a hooper i understand you're not about to let no man you're not about to let anybody Try to Allen Iverson step over. That's the reason why it's considered Allen Iverson step over because of how disrespectful it is. You know, hell, Ty Lue, Ty Lue is one of the best coaches in the NBA currently. Could possibly be the best coach in the NBA. However, there's a reason why, you know, there's a reason why every time you look at Ty Lue, he's still considered the step. Like, you can't remember, you can't forget the step over. It was in the NBA Finals, Allen Iverson, how disrespectful it is. So you don't let no other, you don't let no man, you don't let another basketball player step over you like that. I think we saw that in the uh, WNBA, WNBA Finals or WNBA Playoffs when, uh, wasn't it Kalia Copper, I believe? She played for the Sky and there was a player on the, on the Phoenix Suns or Phoenix Mercury. Phoenix Mercury that damn near stepped over her and she wasn't she wasn't having that at all as a hooper you understand 
So I get it. But at the letter of the law, if you're going to suspend or if you're going to kick out or eject or suspend Draymond Green, which, again, I believe I don't believe Draymond Green should have been suspended. I I thought once you kick him out the game, it's it's done with. It's over with. But if you're going to kick out Draymond Green and suspend Draymond Green, you have to do the same thing with Joel Embiid. But you know they're not going to because Joel Embiid more than likely is going to win this year's MVP and Draymond Green is not. That's just how it is. If it was Steph Curry, he would not have been suspended game three. If it was, and, and, it, and it also goes back to history. But here's my problem with that. Yes, a person can have a history, but why are you... Why are you dictating what's happening because of history instead of instead of the current act? Like, I understand what's in what the history is, but we're not talking about history. What we're talking about is what's happening right now. And while, yes, Draymond Green does have a history, history was not. What stepped on on Demons or had history is not what you should not compile history on the president present, especially if we're talking about a singular act. If we're talking about a singular act, it doesn't matter what the history is. If we're talking about suspension, because that, I mean that is that's why you see people like Stephen A. Smith said this is so egregious because how important it is. If you want to, if you're going to do that, then there should be there. There's no way, there should be no way. It, it's not. It's not. It's not really fair. You can't. You can't say that. That. It. It. You just have to be careful. You know. You have to be careful. History shouldn't. Shouldn't dictate what you're doing in the present. Present. So, with that being said, I don't believe Draymond Green should have been suspended. And I guess the whole, the whole, the summary, and if you could, if you would say, the summary in this is <sighs> the the Seventy Sixers are a game away from winning, or no, from winning round one of the playoffs. And as I told you guys in the beginning, I believe it's a sweep, but. The refs have to be more consistent. It's not just in this series. It's just in general. I understand that there's different refs for different series and different games, but there should be a uniform. There should be a uniform way of doing things. And obviously, as we're seeing in this year's playoffs, and as we've seen majority of this season, it's not. And I think that is that has been a problem. That's where the frustration that the players have with the refs because the inconsistency. So, I want to move over and have a legit, serious talk about the L.A. Clippers. The L.A. Clippers lost game three to the Phoenix Suns. I think it was 129 to 124, I believe, or something like that. But the biggest news wasn't the fact that they lost that game. It's the fact of Kawhi Leonard was out due to apparently he hurt his knee in game one, played through pain in game two, and sat out game three. I have a, I'm not going to say it's a hot take, but it's a, it's a take that 
maybe maybe felt by a lot of people just probably is wouldn't be said. I think that this LA Clippers formation that they that that they done they built their team around Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I think that it's been an utter failure. And I think that it's probably one of the biggest failures in basketball history as far as forming a super team or forming a team that is viable for a championship. I understand when you there's a couple Lakers teams like when the Lakers had Kobe, Shaq, Carl Malone, Gary Payton. I understand that you think that that's, but but they were most of you know. Gary Payton and uh, and and Carl Malone were clearly out of their prime. You can also go to the Lakers that had Kobe, Pau Gasol, Dwight Howard, Steve Nash, but I think injuries ravaged that. Steve Nash was injured most of the year, and. Dwight Howard had the back issue and shoulder issue. You can also say the the Brooklyn Nets when you had KG, Paul, Paul Pierce, Deron Williams, but clearly, yo, know, Joe Johnson was on that team, Brooke Lopez, but clearly Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce were out of their prime. When this Clippers, when this Clippers team was built. I remember I remember a lot of people saying and I th- and I thought it too was they have the formula they have the pieces to win it all. You had Reggie Jackson at the point. Of course Paul George who was one of the best two-way players and of course Kawhi Leonard who was one of the best two-way players if not the best two-way player in basketball at the time. You had them on the same team. And I just knew it was going to be difficult for anyone to score on this team. I even lamented that this could be the greatest defensive team we've ever seen. Not not because of Ray Jackson, but they that you know. When we look up today, I don't think there's been one there's there has not been one playoff series actually. The only playoffs in general that both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were healthy for was the bubble playoffs. There has not been a playoffs where both uh, an entire playoff run where both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were healthy. But. When you really when I when I really sit when I was building this show. And when I sat and thought about it, why did we expect so much out of this group? Because of the name. But let's really talk about the name. Kawhi Leonard will go down as one of the best defenders the the league has ever seen. Kawhi Leonard will go down as one of the best superstars or as 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 a as one of the the <laughs> weirdest superstars, but in a good way that we've ever seen. Of course, doesn't talk that much. 
has a championship in in San San Antonio. Finals MVP in San Antonio. Then you go to Toronto. First and only year in Toronto, you win an NBA Finals. Finals MVP. And then you go to the Clippers. Paul George, emerging star in, in Indiana, was probably one of the top five players at his peak in the league. Had incredible duels with against LeBron James and the Heat. And then you go to Oklahoma City. Oh, you, you have to let me not forget about that horrific injury that he had when he was with Team USA. Came back, played for Oklahoma City, finished third in MVP. Had the best season he's ever he's had in his career alongside Russell Westbrook. Now he's with, of course. The, the 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 Clippers, but again, let's really look at this team, and let's look at those two players in general. Kawhi Leonard, ever since hurting his ankle, you know, twisting his ankle and missing pretty much the whole season, the next season uh, when he was with San Antonio, he hasn't won played majority of the season since and two he hasn't been a player that you can build around because of his inconsistency of availability you know they say your best of ability is availability and Kawhi Leonard has not been available consistently ever since he twisted his ankle against in the playoffs against the Golden State Warriors and we know about the whole Uncle Dennis situations. We know about uh, the he, he pretty much turned himself into a mercenary as far as he's he's he, he he had one stop in Toronto. Of course, it did ultimately win the championship, but he ultimately went to go back to California, ended up being with the Clippers. But Kawhi Leonard has not shown the the. Necessary qualities that warrants a team to be built around him. Like he hasn't demonstrated. Yes, he's good. Do not get me wrong. Kawhi Leonard is good. If we talk about straight talent, Kawhi Leonard is one of, if we just talk about straight talent, right? Kawhi Leonard is probably a top five player in the league. Like just straight talent. The way he's able to play defense, the way he's able to score. I mean, he just had a 38-point game or 34-point game or something like that. Just game one of the of the playoffs. If we talk about straight talent, Paul George probably is one of the most skilled players in the league. When we talk about his ability to score the ball, his ability to dribble, the smoothness in which his game, had, like this, the smoothness in which he attacks the game, but if we're being honest, neither one of them has shown the ability to be to lead a team. Now you can argue that Kawhi Leonard led a team to Toronto, but I would I would attest that, uh, and a lot of people even said in Toronto that the leader on that team was Kyle Lowry. So yes, Kawhi Leonard was the best player, but the leader was Kawhi. I mean Kyle Lowry. But as we look here today, this, in fact, let me see. I'm going to, I want to see something. 
Kawhi Leonard, 2020, right? I think 2020 is when is when this Clippers iteration was when when this Kawhi Leonard Paul George Clipper iteration was formed, right? Or this team was formed. Oh, 2019-2020. Since then, since in fact, Kawhi Leonard hasn't played over 60 games since 2016-17. When the Clippers give up as much as they give up to get a Kawhi Leonard and a Paul George, you expect more than what you've got. And you can say that a lot of people can say it was successful because in 2019, 2020, I believe, or 2020, 2021, one of those two, they made it to the Western Conference Finals. And I do think that if Kawhi Leonard was healthy, they probably would have made it past the Phoenix Suns to make it to the NBA Finals. But I don't. I don't see. And and, and all this is stemming from the game that happened a couple or Two days ago, game three of the of the playoffs, the Clippers going against the Suns. Now, I already you guys know my feelings about I feel the Clippers should have essentially tanked the last game and lost, so they wouldn't have had to play the Suns in the first round. They probably wouldn't have had to play the Suns until the Western Conference Finals if they would have made it. Because of the injury to Paul George. But I'm looking at Kawhi Leonard. Now, I don't know the seriousness. I don't know the validity. I don't know the the pain level that he was in. But I do know this. Kawhi Leonard scored... 30, 38 points. No, he scored 25 points game one. All right. 25, 15. And a win against the Phoenix Suns. Game two, he scored 38 points. And what you're telling me is he couldn't make game three. And this is the playoffs. A lot of people, you were able to, I guess, understand. You were able to understand. uh, Oh, actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Game one of the NBA playoffs, he had 38. Game two, he had 31. The 25 and 15 was in the regular season. I apologize. Again, Game one of the playoffs, he had 38 points. The game in which that he was he supposedly hurt his ankle or hurt his knee. And he played through pain, apparently, in game two and still dropped 31 points. Again, Kawhi Leonard's injury or Kawhi Leonard's t- 
talent is not is never in question. But my thing is, there's a reason why you load manage during the regular season because once you so you're available for the postseason, and at this point in the season, nobody's a hundred percent. But you're unable to play in a game where you could have you could have captured. I mean, you were at home. You could have captured home court advantage, or you could have cap regained home court advantage, and you could have been up in the series, or what tied the series? No, been up in the series. But you missed it. And shouts out to to Russell Westbrook, too. Shouts out to Russell Westbrook. While they didn't win, and while people can say what they want about Russell Westbrook, and a lot of it is true. Don't get me wrong. A lot of Russell Westbrook hating, it's, it's, it's excessive, but a lot of it is true. But one thing that we can say about Russell Westbrook is he's always available. If he's hurt, he's if he's injured, he's injured, but he's always available. And even in a game, yeah, they lost 129 to 124. He still dropped 30 and 12. He had some bad turnovers. He had six turnovers, but again, what what do you what 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 do you expect? Hell, Norman Powell had 42 points. So all I'm saying is A team that looked so promising when it was formed in 2019-2020 has one, one playoff run when they were completely healthy, and that was in the bubble. And now as we look, a game that was very important and is in the playoffs, your two best players are out. And now the Suns have control of the series, and I believe is going to. I, I thought the Suns were going to win all. Like I, I thought the Suns were going to win regardless, but this series has been a lot closer than I thought it would be. Let me say that. And you have you have Devin Booker dropping forty five points. Devin Booker going crazy. Dorman Powell drops forty two. Russ drops 30 and 12. And your stars, your two stars. Now, yes, I understand Paul George, but your two stars are out again. It's unfortunate. So. I also want to talk about uh, Golden State. Golden State went up or Golden State lost two games in Sacramento. They... Game three, of course, we know Draymond Green wasn't playing, and Golden State ultimately won. They destroyed the Kings. There were a couple things that I saw in this game that I liked about Golden State, and there were a couple things that I still am am very concerned when we talk about Golden State. They ultimately won game three, I believe, by like 23, 24 points or something like that. Now, of course, Draymond Green not being there definitely affected their defense. But 
it didn't it didn't of course Golden State was able to overcome the crowd they fed into the crowd Steph Curry had I think 34 30 maybe 36 points it was a good game all around even though again some let me let me talk about the things that I didn't I did like I like the fact that you you were out Draymond Green and Gary Payton the second didn't play Andrew Wiggins played really well uh Dante DiVincenzo was probably the biggest reason why they won the game outside of Steph Curry. Dante DiVincenzo was huge when we talk about, you know, his on-ball defense, when we talk about his offensive rebounds, when we talk about his tip-ins, when we talk about his offense. And let me not forget about Kevon Looney. Kevon Looney went crazy. He had 20 he had 20 rebounds. Now we know Kevon Looney, he's never really been the score. He had 4 points, but those 20 rebounds was huge and those 20 rebounds especially I think he had damn near 10 offensive rebounds they were big and those offensive especially as we know in the NBA in general but especially with Golden State if you allow them to get offensive rebounds you're going to lose the game that's just how it's going to happen so I do think Dante DiVincenzo and Kevon Looney were probably the MV outside of Steph Curry were probably the MVPs of the game and I like the fact of it's it, everyone came to mm, mm. a lot of players on the bench. Like you saw a really good game from uh, Jonathan Kaminga. His offense was good. His energy, his athleticism was was important. And we talk about, of course, getting to the rim, scoring, dunking and guarding, you know, a, a Malik Monk or guarding a, getting switched on to the De, uh, De'Aaron Fox. And I did like how Golden State was able to play, like, as a team, was able to play defense. Their defense, the way they were able to switch and communicate, it it looked like, it kind of looked like the Golden State that we're used to as far as just their defensive pressure. And I like the fact that it was able, you were able to do that without Draymond Green. But that's kind of, and of course they got the win. That's that's the biggest that's the most important thing. They got the win. And I do think that after watching that and and seeing that Gary Payton the second probably will come back next game and of course Draymond Green will be back next game, I do believe that they will go back to Sacramento with a tied series, I believe. And I'm not gonna lie to you, I didn't really have faith in Golden State in game three. You can ask anybody. I just had a strong feeling they were gonna lose just because of how they struggled defensively. And, and and that was probably their biggest issue is they struggled defensively in Sacramento, even though we know Golden State's away record. But I just didn't think that they were going to – I didn't know if they were going to be able to really slow down Sacramento without Draymond Green. But there were, there, there were things that I saw in Game 3 that I did not like in that, honestly, Sacramento – could and probably should. I'm not going to say they should have won the game, but they could have made it a lot closer. First and foremost, I don't know how many wide open threes they missed. The Sacramento Kings missed. When I mean they missed wide open threes. And wide open threes in big spots too, big moments, momentum killing moments. I don't know if it could be because, of, as we know, younger teams and, and 
and teams that aren't as buttoned up as they should be don't play as good on the road. Now, the Kings, I think, have one of the best road records in the league. However, there's a, as we know, there's a difference between a regular season road game and a playoff road game. And I just felt the press they, they kind of felt the pressure. And once, you know, you're at Chase Center and you you feel the crowd is all against you and it's loud and you got Steph Curry hitting bombs. It's it's gonna be it's it's tough for any young team. And the Kings are one of the youngest teams in the league. But I didn't like the fact that the Kings continue and and I do like their offensive the, you know, they were moving the ball and everything, but they missed wide open shots. And on top of that, Sabonis missed a bunch of shots at the rim. Malik Monk, I think, was like one for 10. Now, I knew that they were shooting like 56% from the field at home. I knew that wasn't going to carry to the off or carry to once they went to Golden State. But they, there was a lot of shots they could have made. And if they would have made, it probably would have been a very different game. On top of that, this is yet another game where Jordan Poole did not play good. In fact, let me see what Jordan Poole had. Jordan Poole has struggled mightily. He's averaging 13 points this this series. Jordan Poole had 16 points, shot 14% from the three-point line, had four assists, three steals, two personal fouls, one one turnover. Jordan Poole shot 14%. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, 14% from three. After... Going 0% from three, game three, or game one. Oh, no, game two. I'm sorry. He had four points in game two? Wow. He shot 14% from the field in game two. And on top of that, if we're gonna be, and I, and I, 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 I like him as a player. I love the comeback story. But Clay Thompson, you know what I say about Clay Thompson? Here's the honest to God truth about Clay Thompson shots, and it's about Steph Curry shots as well, but especially Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson shots, if they go in, they're good shots. But Klay Thompson has some momentum-killing shots that he misses. What I'm saying is this. Shouts out to Golden State. And Golden State, you know, handled business in game three. And I think that, you know, Draymond Green coming back, Gary Payton II hopefully coming back game four, they'll be able to tie the series and hopefully – they'll have momentum enough to go win in Sacramento because if you look at Sacramento, they've been close games. Game one, 126 to 123. Game two, 114 to 106. 
But there's a reason why there's such a huge discrepancy in the plus minus when Steph Curry is on the bench and when he's not on the bench. It's been like that all season, but it's been bigger in the playoffs or these the, this first round. If Jordan Jordan Poole is good for one of those one or two of those games where he just goes off. And I think because he's so limited off or defensively, they need his offensive firepower, especially coming off the bench. I understand Jordan Poole made got his, got his bag essentially, and I understand that he probably feels he should be in the starting lineup, as we see because by his plus minuses when he's in the starting lineup and when he comes off the bench is drastically different. He is a completely different player in the starting lineup. So he probably feels to himself that he deserves to be in the starting lineup. But here's my thing. You're not. Who are you going to start over? You think I understand Andrew Wiggins missed missed time, but Andrew Wiggins is especially for this series. Andrew Wiggins is a better defender, much better defender. So do you think you're going to start over Steph Curry? Do you think you're going to start over Klay Thompson? Do you, like, who do you think you're supposed to start over? Draymond Green? What I'm saying is you have to know your role and you have to you have to live in your role. I'm sure Dante DiVincenzo probably thinks he deserves more minutes. I'm sure Jonathan Kaminga, especially with Andrew Wiggins not being there most or the last, last two months of the season, he probably thinks he deserves more time. But you're not. You don't have it right now. So... Golden State is going to need uh, Golden State. The last thing you want to do is lose. You need to win Game Four. I still think, even though I I <laughs> I like Golden State, of course I like Steph Curry and everything. I believe, and I and I'm going to stick by it, even if I'm right or if I'm wrong. I believe I said whoever won Game Two was going to win the series, and the Kings won Game Two. So I think the Kings are probably. St- Still going to win the series unless they just get destroyed in game four. <laughs> if if game, if Draymond Green comes back in, Golden State has all the momentum going into game, what, five? Then that's going to be tough. But I do know that they're going to need Jordan Poole to get it together. For real. Because if not, it's going to be a quick exit for Golden. Or, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough. I want to briefly touch on uh, the Boston Celtics Hawk series. Now, uh, this is my caveat. It's been for the entire playoffs, but I'm recording this in the afternoon, uh, Friday afternoon. So I don't know the outcome of the Boston Celtics Atlanta Hawks game. I also don't know the outcome of the Cleveland Cavaliers Knicks game. I don't know the outcome of the Nuggets and Timberwolves game right now. Oh, game threes. But the question was has how who do I have? Like Boston has been dominant those these first two games. And they've been dominant majority of the season, obviously. The question that I'm getting is, has Boston done enough to convince me that they're better than a a Milwaukee Bucks? And 
do I have Boston coming out of the final or coming out of the the the, the Eastern Conference? I'll say this. I don't think that this is a good road. This is a good test for me to determine if Boston is good enough. I, I good enough to to unseed a a, a a Milwaukee Bucks or maybe even a Philadelphia 76ers. Actually, you know what? Let me be, let me be honest. I think that they're better than 76ers. I don't think 76ers have a shot. I mean, they have Joel Embiid, but the only way the 76ers have a shot to beat Boston, in my opinion, is if we see the James Harden from Houston and we ain't seen him in a minute. I don't think that the Brook or that the Atlanta Hawks is a good measuring stick for how good the Celtics are because of the matchups and because how poorly matched the or poorly matched. Yeah, poorly matched the Atlanta Hawks are. To Boston, but I do think that one thing that I, when you're playing against a team, and I said this what last episode, when you're playing against a team that you are clearly better than, there's there should be no, you want to leave no doubt, and you want to leave no hope, and that's what the Boston Celtics are doing. They're destroying the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young is having some of his worst games, consecutive games we've ever seen. Oh, shouts out Magnum, Malcolm Brogdon for winning six man of the year. I thought it was going to go to Manuel quickly, but it's I understand it's well-deserved. Malcolm Brogdon has been a huge contributor to the Boston Celtics and definitely well-deserved. I think Malcolm Brogdon also has a uh, most improved player, too. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. I know he's in the 50, 40, 90 club. I know that for sure. So shouts out to Malcolm Brogdon, but Boston Celtics are good. Don't get me wrong. And I, and, and I do think this because of the inconsistency from the West, I think whoever comes out of the East is going to win the NBA finals. I think I said that starting. So it's either going to be the Boston Celtics, in my opinion, or the Milwaukee Bucks. But I don't know. I have to see what they look like, what the Boston Celtics looks like against better competition. Because if you look, I think I honestly think the if you if you look, the Hawks and the Timberwolves are even though the seating isn't there, they're probably the two worst teams in the playoffs. We're gonna talk about Miami in a second. But the Hawks and Timberwolves are probably the worst two teams in the playoffs. And you're going up against the number two, could be number one team in Boston, and the number one team in the West in Denver. It's just a, it's just a bad look. So I do need to see what the Celtics look like against better competition, which we're probably going to see in the next round, of course. And that is the 76ers and probably the MVP in Joel Embiid. So, which, by the way, I hope Joel Embiid, he did get hurt. He's always on the ground, man. I hope hope it's not as serious as it is. So, he did finish the game, but he's been limping all over the place. So, we'll see. Let me talk about this. uh, Let me talk about Dylan Brooks and the Grizzlies for a second. 
You know what's funny? And 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 when you're down, when a team is down, their best player. Right? When a team is down, their best player. That is the time to strike. That is the time when you're supposed to put the nail in the coffin, at least for that game. With John Morant being out game two and the Lakers winning game one, I wholeheartedly expected the Lakers to win game two. When you have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, you have Rui Hachimura that's having the game of his life or the series of his life. When you have Austin Reeves who has emerged as a quality three, third option. I thought that... uh, I thought that with John Morant being out, the Lakers would have the advantage. Even though the Grizzlies do play better, or they still play good without John Morant, they play a little better. And I'm gonna actually explain why in a second. But you know what? You know what has what I've noticed, and and one of the biggest reasons why the Grizzlies beat the Lakers in Game Two, and the Lakers squandered that opportunity. The Lakers, the Lakers and the Grizzlies have the same type of confidence. The difference is, one of them has a hist, uh, a a historic past. One of them has a recent championship or in recent memory, and the other one, we lament that they talk way too much. And they've done nothing to talk. But the Lakers and the Cl- and the Grizzlies come into the game with the same type of confidence. Has to be. Because there's no way that your best player, their be- a team's best player is out. And you come into the game, even though you haven't won anything since, what, 2019? Since the bubble. You struggled this entire season. You were in the plan. And they and the Lakers came into that game expecting to win. Expecting to win. That's why they lost. Now let me tell you, let me let me let me explain for people that don't understand. Let me explain why the Grizzlies play as good as they play without John Morant. And it kind of goes you kind of see the same effect, but to a lesser extent with Luca. And let me explain. John Morant is a ball dominant guard. Not nothing wrong with that. John Morant is one of the best young players in the league. But there's a lot of sitting and looking around with John Morant, or or sitting and staring at John Morant because John Morant is so. Majestic with the ball, he's able to do what he does with the ball. And while yes, they are good because John Moran is good. You have you have Jaron Jackson Jr. You have a good team. A lot of 
people and a lot of players on the Grizzlies are are caught sitting and ball watching John Morant. Well, when John Morant is not there, and now you have Tyus Jones, who has one of I think probably the I think he has one of the best pass to assist ratios. Now the ball moves a lot more. Now you have people like Xavier Tillman hitting. He had twenty something points against against this team. Now you have Jaron Jackson Jr. has a little more ball touches. Now you have Dylan Brooks has more confidence. I'm not a fan of Dylan Brooks. I think he just be talking way too much. I ain't gonna I ain't gonna hold you. But I do but I do understand the confidence that the Grizzlies have. Because I mean, you you want to go into a game with that confidence, because that's 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 a that's a, a weapon for a lot of teams. But what I don't understand is at least this year's confidence for the Lakers. Yes, I understand you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but what have you done? You you fought and scrapped to get to the playoffs. To the point where there there should be there's no automatic wins for the Lakers. I do think the Lakers are going to win this series, but there's no automatic win for the Lakers. So there's no way in heaven or hell you should go into a game thinking is an automatic win just because John Moran's not in there. <laughs> oh, and to uh To just to talk about, I, I guess I'll address the comments that Dylan Brooks said to LeBron James. All I'll say is this. You're not talking to like Dylan Brooks isn't talking. First of all, Dylan Brooks isn't a top player in the league in the slightest. And you're not talking to a bum. You're talking to talking about, let's say, you're not talking about a bum. You're talking about LeBron James. And this is the same LeBron James that has had a 50 point game, I believe, this year or last year. Broke the NBA record for scoring with a 36 point game and has the ability to go like I'm not saying you have to lay down to him, but there's, you just don't have to say some things. Especially when they're not true, like, come on now, this is LeBron James, and I and I believe LeBron James will remind Dylan Brooks who the hell LeBron James is next game, or if the Lakers lose next game, I think they're going to lose the series. That's just me. Anthony Davis needs to play better. Just, you know, just has to be better play. Let's move forward. I'm not going to speak too much on what I'll say is this. The the Clipper, no, the King, no, what the money's talking about? <laughs> the 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 Cavaliers and the Knicks are continuously proving my assessment of this series, and that is they are two very evenly matched teams. The difference is if one if if the cop the Caval if one of the biggest reasons why the Knicks won game one is because 
all the all the uh, all the secondary players or other players or role players struggled mightily for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, you saw the same exact you saw the same thing just reversed game two. Darius Garland came to play game two. Uh Donovan Mitchell came to play. Evan Mobley came to play. Jared Allen came to play. And for the Knicks, it was really just Jalen Brunson who did struggle and Julius Randle. Nobody else really came to play. So Whoever whoever finds the consistency in the role players is going to win this series. I picked the Knicks, but one thing that it did show me is it, one thing that it did show me was um, the role players for the Cavs are better than the role players for the Knicks. And if Darius Garland continues, uh, wakes up and continues to play how he's playing, if, if you know, Evan Mobley, it's the if the Cleveland Cavaliers, if they all come to play, they're going to win the series. And the Knicks, the Knicks just need, the Knicks need more, but I think that they're pretty evenly matched, even though they are four and five. They're pretty evenly matched. So, I think what whatever whoever the role players that come to play between either team is, is a team that's going to win, in my opinion. And boy, look here one of the biggest one of the biggest reasons why the 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 I don't mm, there's going to be some major changes uh, in Miami. When this year is over, because of the 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 inconsistency in the roller coaster that we've gotten all all year, and it has shown itself in in this playoffs already. You win you win game one. Now I understand what Charles Barkley and other people were saying when they said that losing Tyler Miami losing Tyler Euro is bigger than. Milwaukee losing Giannis. I'm not saying that Ty Euro is better than Giannis. Please don't hear me say that. But game two was a clear example of what they mean. You're without Giannis and Sister Kupo. Of course, you're without Euro. And nobody could hit a shot to save their life for Miami. Now, a lot of that was because of the defensive pressure that the Bucks put on Miami. But, yo, the Bucks went on a 24-2 run. Uh, you know my, 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 what I say all the time. If you allow a team to go on 20-anything, oh, or 20-anything to run, you don't deserve to win that game, especially in the playoffs, especially without their best player. We know how good Milwaukee, and that's one of the biggest reasons why I still don't know about the Celtics. Milwaukee was out their best player and destroyed the Heat to the point where, you know, Brooke Lopez had 20 over 20. Chris Middleton, you saw Drew Holiday. The, the man, the Heat have struggled all year. 
with consistency. And the last thing you want to do is try to find it. Or the last thing you can do is try to find it against the Bucks in the playoffs. This is that's one of the biggest reasons why I said in the plan, I don't I don't care who comes out the comes out the eighth seed. They're not gonna beat the, it, whether it was the Heat or the or the the Bulls. They weren't gonna beat the Bucks. But it just reconfirmed that without their without Giannis the Bucks were able to firmly handle uh, the Heat, man. It's crazy. And lastly, before we get off the playoffs, um, I love what I'm seeing out of the Nuggets. I love what I'm seeing out of Jamal Murray. This We're starting to really see the old Jamal Murray before the injury. The the only question that I have is, and and the biggest question that I had that I've had is, are they going to be able to hold up defensively? Because even though Jamal, I think Jamal Murray had like forty last game, he he's he's looking incredible. However, Timberwolves went on a mean run and had a very good shot of winning the game. They're just not that good of a team. And the Nuggets clamped down when they need. Well, they didn't really clamp down. They just scored more than them. So I need to see what the Nuggets look like defensively, and and if they're able to, to hold a you know, make defensive stop or get the defensive stops when they need them, because if if that's the case, and Jamal Murray's playing like this, we know how Jokic plays. Aaron Gordon's playing well. Uh, KCP's playing well. They have a good shot of of making out the play, making out the West, playing like this. It's just their defense has to has to come, and I don't know they're they're not that good of a defensive team. So, but they are handling business. I will say that. I haven't given my uh, all NBA teams. That's out. I'm I'm, I'm I'm out the playoffs right now. I haven't given my all NBA teams, and I want. I understand that there's been some talk about. If they're going to change the format and allow, uh, you know, change, change it to positionless teams. I I kind of like that. And that's kind of what I'm going to do for this uh, iteration of the NBA of my all NBA teams. So I wanted to give my all NBA team. I'm going to start with the third team. And like I said, I know that this isn't going to be the all NBA teams because I kind of I kind of cheated a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did the whole positionless thing. I know that's it's, it's, it's just in talks and it's probably not going to happen. But I did the whole positionless thing. And you're really going to see that mainly in the first team. But let me start with my third team and I'll start with. The big. I'll start with the backcourt. I have to go with Steph Curry and Damian Lillard. One of the biggest detriments to Damian Lillard, of course, was the fact of the the the, the lack of success that his team saw this year. Damian Lillard is still, if <laughs> the I mean the the Trailblazers didn't make the playoffs and he was injured a lot of it. They did shut him down and everything, but Damian Lillard still finished I think third or fourth. I know for sure top five in scoring and he was the the real really only lifeline for the trailblazers this year which is one of the biggest I mean I know they had Shaden Sharp and 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 
Grant, but it was real. Dame had an incredible season. If it really wasn't for the terrible record or the bad record that the Portland Trailblazers had, we he probably would get more more light and more consideration to be on a on a on a higher team. But I have to put Dame at at on the third team. And Steph, the only reason why Steph Curry, in my opinion, is in the second team, I mean third team, is because of how good the guard position has been this year. Like when you hear who's on my guards for the or who my guards are for the second and third team, you're gonna understand, like, oh yeah. Now don't get me wrong. I think Steph Curry is still the best point guard in the league. I still think Steph Curry is the best point guard in the league. I just think the the all NBA team is a seasonal thing. It's not like we're not taking into consideration where they rank as far as you know, as far as uh, amongst players. Because I mean, Steph. Uh, spoiler alert: Kevin Durant, because of the injuries and as much time as he missed, he's he didn't make my all NBA teams. Not one of them, but. Kevin Durant is arguably, when healthy, one of the best players in the league. So I, I think the only reason why Steph Curry made the third team and not a higher team is because of just how deep the guard position has been. I mean, Jalen Brown didn't make my all-NBA teams, and he is one of the best guards. So I have, in the back court, I have uh, Curry and Damian Lillard. Front court. And this is, of course, not all NBA third team. I have Jimmy Butler, Le- LeBron James, and Lori Marketing. I, I talked about the consi- the inconsistency that the Miami Heat have had this entire year. The one, one consistent part or, or the one consistent thing about Miami has been Jimmy Butler. And, I mean, there, he he's been... Even though you look at the record, even though you look at the scoring, he has been their most consistent scorer. He's been their most consistent defender. And he's one of the biggest reasons why Miami, of course, made it to the playoffs. So I had to I had to put Jimmy Butler. Of course, we know about LeBron James. I mean, he this year he pat he became the all time leading scorer in NBA history. He's still the the biggest and main reason why a lot of people are are picking the Lakers to make a deep run in the playoffs. He's LeBron James. Even though he's not the peak LeBron James form, he's still LeBron James. And the plus and minus that the Lakers have with him and without him on the court is crazy. Kind of like the same. It's almost close to the same plus minus that the Golden State Warriors have with Curry on and Curry off. And Laurie Marketing, man. Laurie Marketing. He shocked me, and and of course Utah. I'm sure Utah shocked people in Utah too because we thought that they were tanking. They probably should have been taking, but Laurie Marketing has been one of the best bigs in the league, and a lot of the, a lot of people probably don't know who he is, even though he was in an All Star game. A lot of people, if, if if the casual fans probably don't know who Laurie Marketing as far as NBA fans, but Laurie Marketing has been one of the best players in the league this entire year. And he has been the face of the Utah Jazz, and that's why I have him my third team. So my third team is Curry, Damian Lillard, Jimmy Butler, LeBron James, Laurie Marketing. Now we get to my second team. And let's start with the backcourt. I have to start with 
De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox, he finished the, I mean, he did win the, the first ever Clutch Player of the Year award. Um, and he he was the number one clutch player in the, in the, if we talk about percentage and everything, he was the number one clutch player in the league and nobody. And I repeat, nobody expected the Kings to be this good. And a lot of that is because of the play of De'Aaron Fox. I mean, think about it. They have not been to the, and I say this almost every episode because of how shocking that it is. They have not been to the playoffs since 2006 and they're currently leading against the reigning champions in the series it's crazy and darren fox has emerged as one of the best guards at least this year in the league when we talk about offensively while no he's not the best defensively his his speed is is still he he has john wall like er, like john wall speed before the injuries that's how good darren fox is so I have De'Aaron Fox on my all-second team. Uh, then I have Donovan Mitchell. Look, Donovan Mitchell, he has a 70-point game this year. Damian Lillard has a 71-point game as well. But Donovan Mitchell has a 70-point game. And when you want to talk kind of kind of the same way we talked about Jalen Brunson, which he, he was a very tough uh, person to leave off of my all um, spoiler alert, he's all Jalen Brunson didn't make the all NBA team, either one of mine, but he was he, he he was good enough to make it. Donovan Mitchell, his infusion with this Cleveland Cavaliers team has been I mean, you can see it throughout the entire, you know, team of how good this team is and how they feed off his energy. I knew Donovan Mitchell was good. Don't get me wrong. Donovan Mitchell was really good in Utah. I just didn't I didn't think he was this good. I didn't think I I, I didn't think he he was he was good enough to lead a team to the Cleveland Cavaliers are good enough to at least make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I'll say that. And a lot of that is because of Donovan Mitchell. And I just, you know, he's been great. So my backcourt is De'Aaron Fox and Donovan Mitchell. To start my front court, I have Luka Doncic. Now, that's, I guess this is one of the first quote-unquote cheats. Luka Doncic, I understand, plays point guard mostly or plays the guard position. But he's still 6'8". And he still is a forward, pretty much. And the only reason, look. I understand they didn't make the playoffs. I understand, you know, how the season ended. But Luka Doncic, I mean, he he was second in the league in scoring. I think he finished with like 32 or 33 points a game or something like that. Luka is one of the face – or he's going to be a face of the league in the future. And he's one of the best – scores we've ever seen and one of the best foreign players we've ever seen and he just demonstrated that this year so I have Luca and actually that one of the biggest reasons why I, I kind of had to penalize Luca and not put him on the first team is because of the fact that his team didn't make the playoffs so even with Kyrie now I know a lot of people is gonna blame Kyrie but this is yet another star that hasn't really 
I'm not going to say star, but yet another good player that hasn't blossomed playing alongside Luka. So I have Julius Randle. I had to – what the Knicks have done this year has been short of remarkable. And I understand that Knicks fans try to kill Julius Randle every other day. I get it. Trust me. <laughs> but Julius Randle has been – is still the best player for the Knicks. Even though people can argue that it's Jalen Brunson, I do th- think Jalen Brunson is the most important player. It kind of goes back – and I, I, don't, I, don't, I know I bring him up a lot, but it kind of goes back to Golden State. Steph Curry is is by far the best player on Golden State. But I do think that when we talk about the success of Golden State, a lot of people can argue that Draymond Green is the most important player. For the Knicks, yes, Julius Randle is the best player. He has, I think, a most improved player year award. It's it's Julius Randle. But Jalen Brunson is probably the most important player. And, And Julius Randle has been great all year. I have Julius Randle as my second team. And I have Sabonis as my second team as well. Again, when we talk about centers, when we talk about big men, there hasn't been too many better than Sabonis this entire year. Uh, You can argue maybe Anthony Davis, but the inconsistency that the Lakers have seen and and Anthony Davis did miss a good portion of time, I don't know. Uh, but I had to go Sabonis. His availability, the fact of, you know, he alongside with De'Aaron Fox have led the Kings to the playoffs and led the Kings to the best offense in the league and one of the best home home court records in the league and one of the best road records in the league. I had to reward the Kings. So my second team is De'Aaron Fox, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, Julius Randle, and Sabonis. And... My first team, that's where you see the cheating, I guess. Because there's no way. Because this happened last year, and I didn't like it. And I know it's going to happen this year. But there's no way that you can have three MVP candidates and one or two of them not make the first team. Last year, Joel Embiid finished second in MVP, yet and finished second in in or finish on the All-NBA second team? To my opinion, the All-NBA team should be the best five players in the league, which is why I kind of like the fact that there is positionless basketball or or they're thinking about having positionless All-NBA team. While, no, I don't think it's going to be all guards or all centers or whatever. I do. There's there's no way that the, the, second, the person that finished second in MVP didn't make the first team. So this is where you kind of see me cheat. I'm going to start with my backcourt. My backcourt, Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Jason Tatum. I understand Jason Tatum's a forward, but again, Jason Tatum is, I think, finished fourth in MVP voting. There's no way that, and the Boston Celtics have one of the best or the second best record in the league. There's no way that you can you can leave Jason Tatum out of the first team, especially when he is the best player on the Celtics. The Celtics are favored to win the NBA Finals. The Celtics have been extremely consistent this entire year, and Jason Tatum has been there. In fact, Jason Tatum, I think, finished the year with the most 30-point games in Celtics history. That's just, that's, there's no way I leave him off the front court or back court. And for Shea Gilders-Alexander, while yes, the record didn't, 
they didn't have the best record, Oklahoma City. But nobody expected Oklahoma City not only to be as good as they are, but to even make the plan. Nobody expected, okay, hell, not even Oklahoma City. And Shea Gildress has been their best player. <laughs> and Shea Gildress, I mean, his offensive emergence has been a sight to see. He He is fun to watch. And it's going to be scary when you see whoever they get in the draft, plus Chet Holmgren's going to come back. You have Shea Gildress. It's, it's going to be big. It's going to be good. Uh, you have Jalen Williams. The, the, there is such a bright future for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and a lot of that is because of Shea Gildress, and he has been the most consistent guard this entire year as far as availability, as far as, yeah, he missed some time, but he has been the most consistent and probably the biggest surprise as far as the guards. So I have at the backcourt, I have Shea Gilgis and Jason Tatum. In the front court, there should be no question who it is. The front court is Giannis, Joel Embiid, and Nicole Jokic. The three, the, the top three MVP vote. I don't know who's going to, I think it's going to be Joel Embiid, but there's no, again, it goes back to last year. There's no way that the top three, there's three people that are going to be getting votes for the MVP and not one of, or one of them is not in the all NBA team. Joel Embiid, Giannis is a two-time MVP and Giannis had led the Bucks to the best record in the, in the, in the NBA. Nicole Jokic led the Denver Nuggets to the best record in the West for a majority of the season was leading in the MVP vote has two of them. Joel Embiid sent. Oh, and that's another thing last year. Joel Embiid, this is the second year in a row. He led the league in scoring and there's no way I can leave him off the first team led the league in scoring from a center. I think this is the second time that's ever happened. I think the first time was with Wilt. So my first team is Shea Gilge-Alexander, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and Nicole Jokic. I know that's not how it's going to turn out, but that is my all-NBA team. So, hey, get with it. <laughs> and uh, lastly, before we go, I did want to touch on uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs and how... I thought that parody was just in I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I'm not I'm not an avid hockey watcher, don't get me wrong. I'm not a I don't I don't I don't watch hockey as much as of course I watch basketball as much as I watch football. I definitely watch hockey more than I watch uh baseball, that is for sure. And I didn't I thought that when we talked about parity, I talk about parity a lot when we talk about the college game. When we talk about college football, when we talk about college ba- uh, basketball. What we're seeing in these Stanley Cup finals is that while yes, there is a team that is at is good, you know, uh, every team is good. And while yes, the Bruins had a historic regular season, finished with the most points, finished with the most wins in in NHL history. You're seeing there's not much of a difference between these teams, at least so far in the playoffs. I mean, if you look, Boston isn't Boston is is in a dogfight right now with the Panthers. I mean, they 
another thing you're seeing is there there are some huge scores. I mean, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay and Toronto, each team has scored seven points in a game. Uh, the first game, Tampa Bay beat Toronto seven to three. Toronto then beat Tampa Bay seven to two. You're seeing huge scores. I mean, the Rangers beat the the New Jersey Devils twice, five to one. The crack, the Kraken, and it's it's been incredible to watch. Dallas beat Minnesota seven to three. Winnipeg beat Vegas five to one, and then Vegas came back and beat Winnipeg five to two. I think every series is is one one right now. And while no, I think I think well, except for the Rangers. I think that oh, and the Hurricanes. <laughs> I think that um you're seeing the talent level in hockey all around is is on an equal playing field at least right now. Now, I don't I do ultimately think once the playoff once you get deeper into a series, that's when the best players, the best teams, the the teams that play the best defense or has the best goalie, I think that's they're going to merge as the winners of these series, which is why I think there's going to be Boston Bruins that's ultimately going to win it all just because of how good they've been the regular season, even though, yes, I do understand that there's a President's Cup curse, but there's no way I can look at the dominance that I saw from Boston and, and just overlook it. So I do think that Boston is going to win it all. But when I look, even the wild card teams, again, the Florida put Florida put six goals on Boston's head. And Boston has been the best team all year. So I have Boston winning. But it, it has been interesting to watch these first few games and how evenly matched they are. And there you have it. I I was going to talk about the suspensions. Um actually I'm going to talk I'll, I'll talk about them briefly. Uh Jameis Williams or Williamson, there was a couple players in the NFL, a couple of them on the Lions, I think three players on the Lions that got suspended uh for gambling. It goes back to the um it goes back to what I talked about with Calvin Ridley a, a good while ago. The league cares more about his integrity and his reputation and the 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 way that you look at the league more than they care about something like uh domestic violence a player will get suspended longer than a player for for gambling than a player would for domestic violence that's just facts the fact of while yes there's Jameis Williamson or Jameson Williamson or Jameis Williamson or whatever his name is uh wide receiver that used to play for Alabama. He got six games along with a couple other people. And then there were also people that got caught gambling that got suspended indefinitely. The league ain't playing, bro. The league is not playing. They it's, it's all about the shield. They're going to protect their name. They're going to protect their face. And there's no way that you think that you can get away with gambling and they're not going to say nothing. That's, that's just not going to happen. So, uh, there you have it. <laughs> That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to whoever you're watching. Please subscribe to whoever you're listening. It definitely means a lot to me. Uh, and until next time, much love.